Hello, good evening, good day, everybody. I hope you're all doing well. And welcome to the latest, the 84th episode of Ask Abhijit. And as you know, today is going to be a video chat episode, which means that I need to share the video chat link. And hopefully I will get some new faces today. So let me share the link. Uh, here it is. Uh, one second. Let me share that. And let me pin it on the chat. Now you guys will be able to join the video chat if you click on that link. All right. So let's wait for some people to join. In the meanwhile, let me see who all is here with us. Ayush, Mishra, Animish, Nandini, Kostub, Tamagna, Hemant, Rithik, Sena, Sauraj, Dhirendar, Debosman, Srinath, uh, Kumari Sangeetha, Vedant, Raj, Prakash, Sahas, Sahil, Nandini, Abhishek, Bahubali, Tamagna, and uh, Harsh, Zaveri, Ritik, and lots of other people, Kostab, Jaiswal, etc. Alankrita. Good evening, good day to all of you. And I can see some people have already joined. I am going to, I would like to see some new people new faces this time hopefully so okay so let's let's uh, let us begin with i can already see lots of people have joined so whom shall i bring in first let's bring in mr shrinath hello good evening sir how are you doing sir i'm fine sir all right what's your question oh where are you from first of all where are you from i am originally from tamil nadu i live in mumbai now i see and how old are you i am 12 fantastic fantastic so what's your question sir sir my question is that should a country first develop socially and culturally or should a country uh, first develop technologically Right. That is the age-old question. Should we... I mean, the question that lots of people have is that is uh, is India right to invest money in the space program and in defense and various things or should we first develop... Uh, should we first eradicate poverty and all that? The answer is very simple. It has to go hand in hand. You cannot uh, ignore any aspect of development. It has to all happen simultaneously. And there are lots of examples. If you look at... Um, the past uh, 100 years of history, you will see that Japan was destroyed after the Second World War. They developed everything at the same time. The same goes for South Korea, Vietnam, all the other countries that have come out of poverty, come out of the uh, third world status and gone to the first world status. They have done all the development simultaneously. The Japanese are obviously, uh, as you know, one of the uh, more, they are most likely the most technologically advanced society in the world today. In 1945, Japan was a destroyed country. It had been totally annihilated in the Second World War. So they became technologically advanced along with whatever other development they did, socially and uh, removing people from poverty and all that. So it has to go in hand in hand. If you ignore, let's say something like the space program and say that let's first uh, eradicate poverty, then you're going to be several decades behind the rest of the world by the time you've caught up with the other things. So it has to all go hand in hand. Right? So I hope that answers your question. Thank you, sir. Nice to meet you. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Let's bring in um, 
let's bring in mr harsh thakur hello okay so hello vijay sir hello so, how are you the, harsh uh, i'm fine what about you i'm good where are you from i'm from delhi all right what's your question sir okay Okay, so my question is about the Aryan invasion thing. So you know, I was you you brought Professor Neeraj Rai on your uh, live program last uh, last time, and I and I search uh, searching about this. You know, so he said in a podcast that uh, the presence of R one A R one A one in India is around eighteen thousand years old. And I was, and he also accepted that the step immigrants uh, came into India. So if if the step immigrants came into India, how can the Uh, presence of R one A one A in India can be eighteen thousand years old. So this is what I wanted to ask. Okay. So do we know what kind of genetic lineages the step immigrants were carrying? Do we know that? Uh, he's. They must be carrying R one A or R one B, the Yamnaya ancestry or the. You know. Okay. So okay, I get it. All right. So the question is that you are saying that if some step ancestry is there, then how come R one A one A is Indian? Uh, I don't see a logical connection. Yes. I don't okay. see a logical connection between these species. All right. So let me explain what it is. Right. So the step ancestry, whatever is there in India, is recent. Recent, like the past three thousand years only. That's if you if you listen to the conversation I had with Dr. Neeraj Rai, he explains very clearly that the step ancestry is very minimal. It's a very small amount of ancestry that comes from the step. It has happened in the past three thousand or so years. And if you look at the step ancestry itself, it itself seems to originate in it in India at a much earlier date. Okay, so that's what you need to pay attention when you listen. And the second thing is this: if you look at the approximate date at which R one A one A originated, it's between eighteen to thirty thousand years before today. Yes. And yes, the yes. most likely place of origin is India. And the same applies for R one B two. Even for R one B, most likely, as Dr. Neeraj Rai himself said, most likely even R one B originates in India. Now the Yamnaya lineages are almost exclusively R one B. What does that tell you? It tells you that even the Yamnaya were originally Indians. So I think that uh, that puts the entire matter to rest. It's only a question of time before the papers are published, and then even that question uh, that it's not been published yet will go away. So I think it's very clear now. From the data that we have, from the analysis that Dr. Neeraj Rai presented the other day, right, sir? Okay, okay. Yes. Are you not convinced okay. still? I think you're still not convinced. No, just a little bit confusion that whenever these people write the paper, like David Drake of the Harvard Medical School, whenever they write paper, they put things like Iranian ancestry. So the question, so the question then arises is that whom do you want to trust? There are two experts. Yes. One says A, yes, one sir. says B. Whom do you trust? The problem with yes. Indians, I'm not saying you specifically. The problem with yes. most Indians is we tend to trust the foreigner more than the Indian. अरे foreign से बोला है भाई. That has to be true. So please let, let's change our mindset. All right. We have one of the best experts in the world, Dr. Neeraj Rai, who has already yeah. gone on record on this channel and he has demonstrated what things are like. So I think it is time for us to trust our experts as well. Right. All right, sir. Thank you for the question. Nice Thank meeting you. you. Thank you. Bye bye. Okay, who will come in next? Let me bring in Mr. Tejaswa Vats. I am unable to see Mr. Tejaswa Vats. Let me try it again. 
Looks like his uh, devices are not working. Let's bring in somebody else. Whom shall we bring in? Uh, I will bring in people whose faces are visible. I will not bring in people whose faces are not visible. So please understand that. Uh, in the meanwhile, let's bring in Mr. Udit. Well, um, hello. Yes, sir. Hello, sir. How are you, sir? I am very well. Where are you from, sir? Sir, I am from Delhi, but um, I live in Saudi Arabia for now. So I came I last see. session also. I asked the Russian question like uh, in the last episode. I was there. Okay. So today's nice to question again. history, yeah. sir. So mm-hmm. when we talk about Delhi, sir, what do we where do we where does Delhi originate from? And then how does it come here? Like till date. I'm not asking to give you you should that you should give a detailed explanation. Like in short, can you tell like where it originated from? Like when was Delhi made? Okay, the history of Delhi. I think the oldest. See, there is a there is a. See, I haven't. I, I am not personally very much acquainted with Delhi. I have been there only briefly, a couple of times, very briefly. But yeah. what I know is that there is a part of Delhi in within the geography of Delhi, which is called Indraprastha, right? Yes, sir. So that happens to be the Indraprastha of the Mahabharat. It is the same location. And we don't quite know when the Mahabharat happened. It happened minimum, I would say, 5,000 or so years before today. Yes, so I would say that that should be the... Uh, I mean, if archaeologists were to go to the Indraprastha, Indrapath place, that region, and do yes, some sir. excavations, do some uh, some research, then they'll be able to actually find some evidence, some data that will be able to help us date how old the earliest settlement in this region is. So I think that's where it needs to start. But we know that the uh, location of the historical Indraprastha of the Mahabharat is there, right there in Delhi. Yes, so sir. I think it's, it's, so the dating of the Mahabharat and the dating of Delhi, I think they are, they go hand in hand. Once we have a good idea, good handle on how old Indraprastha is, then we'll know that that should be the origin of Delhi. So Hastinapur, Indraprastha, it's all in this region itself. So yes, sir. That is, that, that's where the clues lie. Yes, right. Sir. Okay, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Nice meeting you again. Bye. Okay, let's bring in Sugandhita. Hello. Namaskaram, sir. Hi, sir. Namaskaram, uh, namaskaram, is... madam. Yeah. I'm from Hyderabad, Telangana, sir. All Hadrabad. right. Please go ahead. All right. So my question is that um, uh, if moon plays a major role in um, women. Uh, menstruation or uh, pre, um, pregnancy, how come uh, human race will be on uh, Mars? That's an interesting question. I uh, See, the thing is that, uh, like you said, the menstrual cycle seem to coincide with the, with the uh, phases of the moon, 28 or so days. I, I'm not a great expert in this. Uh, so we have evolved on this planet and uh, the human species is about 2 million or so years old and our ancestors before the human species were all with the various kinds of apes so we have evolved in a certain manner so now if humans in the future were to go to a different planet let's say hypothetically mars then what will happen uh i don't think it should be quite a very big problem uh, evolution happens over a time scale of millions of years 
so if humans will go to mars and and be there for let's say a couple of million years and we survive that long then maybe we will see evolution happening in a different direction in some manner it's all speculative okay. we don't even know if humanity will last the next 1000 years the way it is going so I, <laughs> so you know that's uh, that's the way it is but yeah it's a very okay. interesting question i think we should call some evolutionary biologist something some, somebody like that and uh, ask this question to that person very interesting question you asked unfortunately <laughs> i am not an evolutionary biologist so i can give a broader scientific perspective from the perspective of the time scales of evolution but very interesting question yeah. i'm glad you people are asking such intelligent questions so that's what <laughs> i can offer you thank you so much sir thank you thank you so much nice meeting you ma'am thank you bye bye All right. Who else shall we bring in? Let us bring in my good friend Soham Chaudhary. Oh, those, hello. Sir. How are you, sir? आप कैसे हो? Sir, I'm okay. Okay. Sir, मेरा मैं मेरा question बहुत लंबा है तो हम पढ़कर बता रहे हैं. Sir, China is a sir China is colonized by communist ideology. Communism is is itself a Western ideology. Communism mm-hmm. is created by the German philosopher Karl Marx. Karl Marx was born in uh, Tyre, yeah. no, Trier, Trier, in Germany. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Say, say, so second, that means that the communism is created by the philo- Western philosopher named Karl Marx. ये तो ठीक है. The China was was a democratic country from uh, 1912 to 1949, but after the Chinese Civil War. Which has happened from 1927 to 1949, Communist Party of China overthrew the democratic elected government and established the People's Republic of China. So my the main question is that, sir, my question is that why nobody mm-hmm. is talking about this topic that communism is a Western ideology. लोग बोलते हैं कि capitalism एक Western ideology है. इसका a scholar thinker i don't remember was it hegel most likely hegel it was so th- that's the lineage of this communist ideology socialism communism it's all different um, names for essentially the same uh, line of thinking so you are right this uh, this um, communism itself originates you could say the the overall father of communism is the uh, is the this guy called karl marx i don't consider him to be a philosopher by by any stretch of the imagination but yes he is the guy who came up with the marxist ideology which became communism and all that eventually it's even been called maoism with some uh, with a little bit of reinterpretation so china today is no longer a communist country we have to understand that too china practices capitalism it's an out and out capitalistic mercantilist country sir aur ek to country ka naam hai aapka naam bhul gaya sir sorry sorry sir aap bolo अंडरस्टैंड 
they opposed western imperialism what is imperialism it means that a foreign power which is more powerful than you comes and tells you how to do your things how to live your life they they try and interfere with the internal affairs of your country that is imperialism and so so that's what was happening in the 20th century whether you're talking about vietnam whether you're talking about korea why is korea divided into two it's because of external factors the korean people did not divide the country into two pieces it is the the influence of china and the ussr on one hand and the us on another hand which divided korea so this is foreign interference the same thing was happening in vietnam it was divided into north and south and so on so they don't oppose western ideology western thought they oppose western imperialism they op- they have been opposing attempts to f- of, of, from western powers to interfere in their internal affairs so understand that it is not an uh, opposition of the western uh, culture or ideology if you look at the vietnamese people lots of them even speak french even today and lots of them live western lifestyles and eat pizzas and burgers and things like that so it's not about about opposing western culture or western uh, ideology it's about opposing imperialism right so vietnam even today is a communist country more or less they also practice a form of capitalism actually right and middle income country ban gaya Yes exactly you're right and north korea is not quite a communist country it's a one party authoritarian dictatorship so you can call it communism but it's actually that thing so the yeah, main jo main it's a yeah so what i'm saying is it's it's quite complex it's not as simple and uh, monochromatic as it it seems to be kafi complex cheeze hai ye so communism is of course a western ideology and these guys don't oppose western ideology they oppose imperialism which they should got it थैंक्स सर क्योंकि कॉलेज में लोग कैपिटलिज्म के बारे में इतना गालियां देते हैं जब कम्युनिज्म का बात है सब चुप रहते हैं जब ये पूछते हैं कि अरे कम्युनिज्म भी तो वेस्टर्न आइडियोलॉजी उसके बारे में कुछ तो बोलो सब चुप रह जाते हैं तो इसलिए मैंने ये सब इवन मीडिया में भी कम्युनिज्म को ऐसा वेस्टर्न आइडियोलॉजी ऐसा दिखाते जैसे कि ये एक आइडियोलॉजी एशिया में ही पैदा हुआ है ऐसा करके पोर्ट्रेट कर रहे हैं बट ये चीज बहुत मुझे खराब लगा है कि जो एक्चुअली जो आइडियोलॉजी एक्चुअली का वेस्टर्न उसका पोर्ट्रेट नहीं कर रहे बट जो आइडियोलॉजी बेसिकली हर जगह में एग्जिस्ट कर उसको आप ओपोज कर रहे यू आर राइट यू आर राइट सो इट्स अ वेरी इंटरेस्टिंग पॉइंट दैट यू हैव ब्रॉट आउट थैंक यू नाइस टू सी यू अगेन यस सर नेक्स्ट पॉडकास्ट में मिल जाएंगे ऑलराइट ऑलराइट चलो थैंक यू थैंक यू बाय बाय ओके हु एल्स शैल वी ब्रिंग इन लेट अस ब्रिंग इन मिस्टर तरुण कुमार हु इज रेजिंग हिज हैंड Hello how are you sir Hello sir can you see me am i visible and audible You are visible and audible sir where are you from Thank you I'm from Telangana sir I'm from Hyderabad so right. I have a long question for you it's regarding Go the ahead. Aryan invasion theory So mm-hmm. I belong to a Telangana ethnicity and Telangana speaking family so it's different from what you see in the commercial popular fiction space of Telugu cinema or Telugu literature So my question specifically is about Aryan invasion theory because as a child growing up in a Telugu family we have lot of familiarities or uh, Telugu is almost similar to Sanskrit in many ways it is even the yeah. vocabulary is as you know 70 or 65% related to Sanskrit so in intermediate when we had to choose a secondary language i chose Sanskrit because many of my friends told me that it happens to be very similar sounding to telugu so i thought it would be easier for me 
So I went ahead and uh, chose Sanskrit as my second language. And I was so surprised to see that though the script was in Dev Devanagari, the words, the soundings, everything, the etymology was, uh, you know, almost similar to Telugu. So at that point, I had no idea about what Aryan invasion theory is and who Aryans are, uh, supposedly, and that I, being a South Indian, I am a Dravidian. I didn't knew that before until I started uh, diving a bit deeper into history and uh, started learning more about a culture and stuff like that. So now when I hear people saying that South Indians are ethnically or culturally or whatever, genetically different from North Indians because North Indians are supposed to be the so-called Aryans who were, uh, who invaded our country 1500, in 15,000 BC or 1500 BC, sorry. So I find it so baffling because even the words that we use are very, uh, you know, Sanskrit related. Even in Hindi, you use most of the words. They are from Urdu, right? So uh, I'll give you a few examples, sir. I'm not uh, very much, uh, what do you say? I'm not a voracious reader of Telugu, but I have uh, good knowledge about the language and the sounds and all of that. So for Ratri, we use Ratri. Nidra, Ratri, uh, Bhojanam. Um, you know, there are so many words which are directly related to Sanskrit and you don't get to hear them often in any other language. Of course, you get to hear a lot of Sanskrit words, uh, words in Kannada as well. But uh, I think no one has ever countered the Aryan invasion theory with, uh, with a point of linguistics. So my question okay. to you in short is yeah. why don't we counter the uh, so-called uh, elite historians with this argument that when you study the linguistic deeply enough, uh, the South Indian languages are more Aryan to speak of. So has yeah, there been any study or research in this direction? Certainly, certainly. Linguistics is one of the major battlegrounds when it comes to the Aryan invasion theory. There is this entire uh, theory that has been constructed from the ling linguistic perspective of the Indo-European language family. So they say that German is closer to Sanskrit than Telugu is. That's the because Telugu is supposedly part of the Dravidian language family. So there is this battleground in linguistics as well. They have created a language family called the Indo-European language family. And Dravidian languages are not part of that, uh, that language family. And yet, if you, if you do a comparative analysis of Sanskrit and German, and Sanskrit and Telugu, for instance, you will find that Telugu and Sanskrit have so much more in common than Sanskrit and German, or Sanskrit and French, or Sanskrit and Latin, for instance, or Sanskrit and Greek. So it is abundantly clear that any Indian language from the south, southern regions of India, whether it is Telugu, whether it is Kannada, whether it is Tamil, whether it is Tulu, whether it is uh, Malayalam or anything else, they are way closer to Sanskrit than are any of the European languages. So actually, shouldn't all of these Indian languages be part of the same language family? Instead of trying to categorize Sanskrit in a language family that, that, that also has European languages, it is it makes no sense. So what needs to happen is we need to reanalyze the languages linguistically a priori starting from scratch from a proper scientific Paninian perspective. That's what needs to happen. Right now, linguistics is not a science. They call it a science, but it's all based on consensus building and all that. Consensus building is not science, it's politics. You see, that's what's happening. And it's a bunch of Western linguists who have taken over and they decide what is right, what is wrong. So linguistics currently is, is completely pseudoscientific. It's totally incorrect. Uh, 
and uh, so, so so what you have pointed out is absolutely valid telugu and all the other in, uh, southern indian languages are much much closer to sanskrit than any uh, extra indian language so so it is certainly one of the things that we, that we can use to prove that these people are incorrect in their categorization or classification of indian people into two ethnicities or two races and that's also been debunked via the science of genetics i mean you and me if we compare the genetics we will have almost everything in common just the skin color or whatever else you have it's all superficial it all depends on climatic factors or on where your ancestors have been for the past 1000 or so years so that that also affects your skin color your eye color hair color everything else so these are superficial factors actually be, beneath the skin we are very much alike whether whether it's somebody in north india west india is somebody in kerala for instance or somebody in bengal we are all the same genetically and linguistically we have so much in common much more than what we have in common with other countries so your point is valid and that's why i have been saying that we need to reexamine the linguistics of india a priori from scratch in a scientific manner so that is still something that's not happened yet we still yes, don't even have any sort of linguistics sir. in the country yes sir i'm yes, really sir? sorry to interrupt you here but i just have a small humble request from mine because uh, you are a very Good. influential person uh, in this uh, you know right set of arguments and uh, you have access to many uh, you know brilliant thinkers of our uh, country yes sir what's so the i want just request mm-hmm. you that uh, could you please make a podcast with uh, uh people like neeraj rai sir or sanjay dikshit or any other people from this uh, you know the indic thinkers who have a good bit of knowledge about uh, the linguistics or some you can call on some linguistic experts especially telugu linguistic expert and then you can compare sanskrit and uh, telugu and maybe try to bring in some okay. argument from the because i think this argument this uh, you know Uh, this factual argument will really help uh, this destroying this and debunking the yeah so i already have a podcast with dr neeraj rai and i will certainly t- take up your suggestion thank you all right i'm yeah. i'm going to end it here because there are people waiting but thank you very much yeah. very good points thank you sir nice to meet you sir nice to meet you thank you all right um uh, let's bring in mr tejaswa what's again hello can you see me can you hear me could you speak yes yes please yes yes ab meri awaaz aa rahi hai aapki awaaz aa rahi hai aap dikh bhi rahe mujhe aap kahan se ho sir kahan se ho aap up up se hai ji aapki ayu kya hai 14 14 yes sir aapka prashn kya hai bataiye please mera question ye tha ki agar hum space mein jaate hain Mm-hmm. और लाइट की स्पीड से अगर हम ट्रेवल करेंगे तो ये क्या बोलते हैं कि क्लॉक रुक जाएगी उसके लिए आपको स्पेशल रिलेटिविटी पढ़नी पड़ेगी इट्स अ वेरी सिंपल थियोरी उसमें ज्यादा मैथमेटिक्स नहीं है तो इफ यू लुक एट द इक्वेशंस ऑफ स्पेशल रिलेटिविटी इट विल आपको उसमें मालूम पड़ेगा कि आपका जितना वेलोसिटी बढ़ेगा आपका स्पीड जितना हाई होगा उतना ही आपका मास बढ़ेगा और उतना ही आपका क्लॉक का स्पीड फ्रॉम योर परस्पेक्टिव क्लॉक का स्पीड वही रहेगा बट फ्रॉम एन एक्सटर्नल ऑब्जर्वर्स परस्पेक्टिव आपका क्लॉक का स्पीड कम हो जाएगा सो एन एक्सटर्नल ऑब्जर्वर विल एज फास्टर देन यू सो द हायर योर वेलोसिटी इज द स्लोअर यू विल एज दैट्स द थिंग यू गेट इन स्पेशल रिलेटिविटी तो आपको वो थियोरी पढ़नी पड़ेगी उसके इक्वेशंस आपको 
समझने पड़ेंगे देन इट विल बी वेरी क्लियर अबंडेंटली क्लियर बहुत सिंपल थियरी एक्चुअली कंपेयर टू जनरल रिलेटिविटी सो इट इज फ्रॉम रिलेटिविटी कि हमें ये सब मालूम पड़ता है कि वॉट इज द बिहेवियर एट रिलेटिविस्टिक स्पीड ऑफ ऑफ क्लॉक्स ऑफ ऑफ लेंथ कंट्रैक्शन टाइम डायलेशन एंड सो ऑन एंड सो फॉर्थ तो आपको वो पढ़ना पड़ेगा तभी आपको समझेगा आई कैनोट गिव यू इंटूटिव अंडरस्टैंडिंग वो इंटूटिव है ही नहीं ओनली द इक्वेशन कैन टेल यू ऑल राइट सर Yes, nice to meet you. Thank you. Thank you for the question. Ji. Bye. All right, who else shall shall, shall we bring in? Let us bring in uh, lots of people. Uh, let's bring in Mr. Sahas. Well, hello. Hello sir. Hello. Am I audible? Hello, sir? I can hear you. Yes sir. Uh, Where yes, are you from? I'm from UP sir. Uh, All right. Sir, What's your question? Uh, so my uh question is that uh, we hear these western country talking about human rights and um war crimes sir my question is why aren't the americans demonized for nuking an entire country and more than that my follow up question is what led to these bombings and uh, wasn't there any other way than uh, totally dismantling a country through nuclear arms right so the reason they are not demonized or they are not called out for doing this is because they control the narrative they control the entertainment industry hollywood which portrays americans as the superheroes as the people who are morally righteous all the time they never do a wrong thing and secondly they control the entire media the entire media that we consume the english speaking media because indians only consume english english media more or less internationally so we only see their perspective the narratives they build the british broadcasting corporation is is essentially a propaganda arm of the british and all the american outlets media outlets are propaganda arms of of the us establishment that's why you don't see this happening that's why you don't see any other perspective if you were to able to read russian or chinese you would see different perspectives but that's what we cannot do and that's why we only see a one dimensional perspective now why why did why did the bomb, bombings happen because they wanted to test the bombs on on civilians i suppose you know because they, these are not white people these are some brown people or or asian people let the, let a few of them die kya fark padta hai right mm-hmm. so human rights don't apply to non white and non western people it's it's as simple as that so they and and, and the uh, justification they would like to give you is that by doing the bombings they actually saved lives because otherwise the war would have gone on for another 6 months or one year and more people would have would have died so we we actually did a good thing we killed fewer people so that's the kind of moral justification they use which is all nonsense right that's so ironical sir yes sir is, thank you sir uh and uh, what you're doing is would be remembered for years to come sir thank you so much thank you so much thank you thank you nice meeting you bye all right let's bring in whom shall i bring in i shall bring in mr kushagra bhalla hello 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 how are you doing sir where are you from i can hear you yes uh i think i can't hear you Well, I can hear myself. I think everybody else can hear me. Am I audible? Uh, can you hear I'm me? I'm from uh, uh, Punjab, but living in Germany. All right, Guten Guten Morgen, I suppose. Yes. Hello? Okay, I think that's a. Yeah, I, I'll bring you back later. I'll bring you back later because I'm not able to hear you. I mean, you're not able to hear me. Uh, let's bring in somebody else. and let's bring in mr manmat tiwari well hello, hello sir. sir how are you doing big fan sir 
I am from Lucknow. It's a Lucknow. I am in class twelfth currently. So oh. my question is that there were in the pre-Christian era there were many religions throughout the world, like throughout the global uh, landscape. There were through many religions, but none of them conducted conversions so badly and so brutally that they would torture people to such bad extents that they would end up dying and convert out of fear, but in the case of christianity and islam both being an abrahamic religion converted each and like they took over countries like within a night they took down a whole islamized and christianized countries over like two to three years and like using brutal means to convert everyone even yes, judaism was a abrahamic religion but they didn't convert like that brutally so does does not that make us think that christianity and islam were not religions basically they were a political move to maintain global hegemony like we can also take the fact into consideration that both of these religions almost appeared from the same region of the world yes the And abrahamic religions uh, uh, yes i get your question the abrahamic religions uh, they their origin is with the prophet abraham who was yes. a Ju judaic Ju jewish prophet and these three religions are called the religions of the book they, they are essentially the same um, The essentially a very similar worldview, ideology, mindset, and these are uh, the religions that emerged out of the desert. In the desert, what happens is that you need the desert climate is brutal. It's very harsh. You need extreme discipline and and uh, military structure in in your society in order to survive. So that's the kind of religion that emerged from there, and it's uh, it's been able to take over the world because uh, because it is an organized. These are organized religions. and because they are organized along military lines and like you said there is this propensity to convert which no other polytheistic religion has so it's just the inherent property that all the abrahamic religions have however when you talk about judaism they are organized differently they are not organized in a top down military manner the the organization from in from the perspective of judaism is more organic and it is more decentralized so the other two religions abrahamic religions they are centralized in a military fashion so that's why judaism behaves differently they don't have this focus on conversion if somebody wants to convert there is a long process i believe and so on so that's just how it is the, the, it's it's well known the what what the history is so it is an inherent characteristic of the abrahamic religions the candidate was a political move for global yes it is it is it is certainly a political military all of it combined Right. Okay, so thank you, big fans. Sir, but sir, one small request, sir, that please yes, sir? Uh, bring out your podcast on the Dust Wars and War. I'm very eagerly waiting for it. I didn't get it. Sorry. So I was saying that please, can you bring out a podcast on the Dust Raj, the Dust Raj and War? I'm eagerly waiting for it. All right, all right, sure, sure. Thanks for the suggestion. I will certainly look into that. Big fans. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Nice meeting you. Bye. Okay, who else do we bring in? Let's bring in um, Mr. Chinmoy, Mr. Chinmoy Bora. Hello. Hello, sir. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm very well. How, how, where are you from? Sir, I'm from Assam. All right. Nice to meet you, sir. What's your question? Sir, my question is why is China so interested in claiming Arunachal Pradesh? Means the locals there claim that many Chi the Chinese army tried to enter Arunachal Pradesh. Why is it so, sir? the chinese have this propensity to try and keep all of their neighbors under constant pressure 
okay they are an expansionist power and they are a hegemonic power now the only major threat to china or challenge to china in the entirety of asia is just one country which is india and they want to keep india constantly on the back foot so that is the reason why they are always doing this this the, the, this strategy of pinpricks constant pinpricks create an incursion there an incursion there, here incursion in ladakh and incursion incursion in arunachal pradesh or somewhere else use pakistan to destabilize india on the western border and so on and so forth it's been a constant strategy for the past 50 plus years ever since they are uh, uh, conquered and annexed tibet illegally so that's been a constant chinese strategy and uh, they actually they are worried that if india rises economically and militarily then their plans will be thrown into you know into disarray so that's why they have this right now they in the past they also had these uh, uh, these uh, geographical boundary disputes with the russians in the 1960s they almost went to war with russia they had these uh, significant and very serious border clashes with russia so it's a constant ever present feature of the chinese communist party's foreign policy to to have border disputes and all these problems with all their neighbors they have territorial claims with every single neighbor they have so it's not only about india but the focus is more on india because india is the only major power that can challenge the chinese so that's why they are claiming arunachal pradesh in the see before the 2000s they were not claiming arunachal pradesh because at that time india had not recognized tibet as a part of china so it is in the 2000s i believe early 2000 that the indian prime minister officially recognized tibet as part of china and once that happened they immediately made a claim on arunachal pradesh so this indian policy has been really silly and really counterproductive so that's the reason why all of this is happening but i hope i explained over from a larger perspective why the chinese have this attitude of constantly doing this right sir thank you very much for breaking the question i hope a better thank you sir most welcome nice meeting you Take care. Bye bye. All right. Who else shall we bring in? Let's bring in Mr. Uh, Jitin Nair. Hello. Can't hear you, sir. You're not audible. Unmute yourself, please. Unmute. Sir, can you hear me? Hello. Ah, yes, I can hear you now. Yes, sir. Where are you from? Sir, your thoughts on Tipu Sultan. I am from Maharashtra, Mumbai. uh my thoughts on tipu sultan i can give you in one word monster and he is hello yes i think tipu sultan was a was a very brutal evil king and uh, so yeah in in one word a brutal monstrous barbarian and somebody who should not be glorified all right sir uh, sir one more uh, sir can only you... one question per person one question per person sorry no, the sorry. rule is one S- question per person suggestion sir can yes, you make uh, videos in hindi no sir not at this point in the future okay, maybe i'll do it i have another channel which in which i have made one live stream in hindi so it's certainly something i will keep uh, or oh, no you know i may do it in the future at this immediate time it is not possible because i'm focusing on certain things but certainly in the future i may do it certainly so in the long run yes all right yeah thank you nice meeting you sir Okay. Um let's bring in Mr. Will Smith. No, 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 no. Not Mr. Will Smith. Uh let's bring in Mr. Uh, Sandeep Chaudhary. Hello sir. Hi sir. Big fan. How are you doing? Where are you from? Uh good. I am from uh, Delhi. All right. What's your question? 
so my question is uh, what what's your take uh, on russia and ukraine crisis are they going to attack or they're going to be a war or it's just a threat right good question so what what we are witnessing right now is that we are witnessing a certain kind of uh, cooperation between the chinese and the russians because their national interests to some extent they converge right now so what we are witnessing is that the russian the russians are exerting geopolitical pressure in eastern europe in ukraine right now that's the pressure point and the chinese at the same time are exerting geopolitical pressure in the south china sea in uh with with respect to taiwan so what we are seeing is an attempt to uh keep the united states off balance with two pressure points in two different regions of the world right so i think that uh i am not expecting the russians to invade ukraine they will keep threatening it the the russian threat to eastern europe is permanent it's never going away the russians can threaten to destabilize eastern europe anytime they wish to right so it is simply in my opinion and in the opinion of other experts too i am not quite an expert but in the opinion of geopolitical analysts and strategists it seems to be a uh, something that is happening in coordination with the chinese right now we have the uh, winter olympic games that are, that are happening as we speak right now in china so the chinese want this to go off smoothly there's been a diplomatic boycott of these games from the west from india as well so they are worried that they will uh, lose face if there is a, if there is all all of this happening in the games so they want the games to go off smoothly so maybe they are coordinating with the russians to exert a kind of some certain kind of pressure in ukraine to divert the U- united states's attention away from china at this point in time so uh will the russians invade i don't think they will re- invade right now but in the future they may possibly invade if the time is right they feel and if they stand to gain something more than they stand to lose in that case they may invade so it's a complex situation i don't think an invasion is actually imminent immediately right sir okay thank you sir good night Thank you good night nice meeting you Okay um who shall i bring in let's bring in mr abhishek choudhury hello hello sir huge fan and thank you so asked question so many times and unfortunately it was never picked and i'm speaking well, face to face to you very happy <laughs> right so i i'm from new delhi new delhi all right what's your question yeah Yes so i just want to ask like according to you who is bigger threat to india is it the communist or is it extreme islamist and second part is the government taking sufficient step to protect us from them and if not what you and i as a common citizen can do to protect ourselves see you and i as common citizens can't do much the government has to uh, take care of the national interest now in my opinion the real threat to india internally comes from outside forces you have all these ngos and all these various bodies in india that act mm-hmm. as conduits for foreign money and influence into india and these ngos and various other organizations they then go on and fund the various uh, forces internal forces that, that you just mentioned so yeah. all of this will immediately stop if the influx of foreign money stops now the question is why is the influx of foreign money not stopping it's because yeah. there are certain powers that are way way more powerful than india who are pressurizing india to keep yes. uh, allowing certain things to happen so it is actually all happening because of foreign influence there are see 
in the world there are certain forces there are certain powers that transcend national boundaries and the, yes. there are and they they essentially influence and interfere with the internal affairs of countries all across the world so that's what's happening in india right now so what needs to happen is india needs to rise economically and at the same time militarily once india's economy crosses let's say 10 trillion dollars of gdp then india will be a different kind of beast then we will be able to push back against this sort of foreign interference in india and once that happens all the internal threats that we are facing will automatically evaporate so that is what's happening it's actually what we are witnessing are symptoms of foreign interference in india that's what's really the big threat thank you thank you All sir and one request uh, you yes, and i really love like the podcast that you are doing right now like bringing different guests um, so i just request that if you can also bring in major goravarya uh, you two are my like biggest heroes so i would love to see both of you together on one screen thank you for the suggestion thank you i'll certainly keep them in thank mind you. thank you thank you sir thank you bye All right. Who else do we bring in? Let us bring in Mr. Manav Shah. Namaste, sir. And I cannot. Can you... I can't see you, sir. You're not visible. Your camera doesn't seem to be working. Okay, let's bring him in at another time. Let's bring in somebody else. Um. Ah, somebody's dancing. Well, hello. Hi, sir. Uh, Hello, Shreyas, right? Where are you from? I'm from Mumbai, uh, Maharashtra. Uh, I can't hear I have... you. Could you raise your audio? I'm from Mumbai, Maharashtra. Ah, yes. All okay, right. What's so your question, I, sir? My question for you is that uh, when are we going to take back Pakistan-occupied Kashmir? And I have some explanation as well. Uh, the Balochistan, the people from Balochistan are attacking Pakistani army right now, right? Because and China-Pakistan economic corridor passes from Pakistani-occupied Kashmir, right? So if we try to take back Pakistani-occupied Kashmir, then China we have to deal with China as well. Right? So when are we doing that? If suppose from ten uh, years from now, if we become a ten trillion dollar economy or a twelve trillion dollar economy, so is is that the right time to take back what's ours? And how will we do it? right so when are we taking back pok well if i were to disclose that to you then all of our enemies will know so i will not do that <laughs> see it's like this <laughs> let me explain see you can do things at any given point in time but there is always a price that you must pay when you indulge in a military action you going to take certain steps and your adversaries will retaliate in certain ways so there is always a balance of power and you have to pick the best moment when you know that you will have to pay the least possible price when the time is right that's when you strike now when is the time right you never announce when the time is right right exactly so yes. see so the 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 enemy has certain vulnerabilities like you saying there are certain things happening in balochistan yes. and the enemy is essentially is pakistan they have taken over some parts of our territory but right now they are being aided and abetted by a much larger power china right correct and correct. right now china is quite stable they don't have any problems so like i said we have to pick the right time right now china is strong they are able to support pakistan but there may be a time in the future that we may actually see coming if we have the right way of looking at things 
when there may be certain problems so the average age in china right now is 38 or 39 years the average age of ours is around 26 27 years so if the average age of china increases right when the people who work at factories the manufacturing plants if that uh, people as they grow older maybe they will not work that well and when i think we have a good chance right now because the average age is very less comparatively to china so if uh, we might achieve our peak in the next 10 years or 15 years as well what do you mean? so when i'm talking about the right time i'm not talking about looking at the average age it's nothing to do with the average age of a country you're looking at other geopolitical factors you're looking at the internal stability of the country you're looking at leadership struggles you're looking at other factors you're not looking at the average age even if the average age is 80 you will still still have sufficient soldiers who are 20 year old or 25 years old so that is not the issue the issue is the overall internal stability and the ability to project power that's what you're looking at so in from that perspective when the time is right we should act the time is not right right now Okay sir thank you thank you very much thank you good question nice, nice meeting you okay who do we bring in let us bring in mr megalok giri hello can't hear you sir can't hear you hello sir hello. can you hear me ah yes i can hear you yes, yes sir where sir. are you from good evening sir jay jagannath sir i am from odisha jay jagannath Okay. Yeah, sir. My question to you is, sir, what was the relationship between Odisha and Southeast uh, Asia? Excellent question. Excellent question. That's a that is a relationship that almost nobody in India knows. I think a lot, very few Odia people also know about this. Yes, sir. So Odisha, yeah, yeah. So Odisha, Kalinga. So Odisha is uh, is originally Kalinga, and Utkal is Uttar Kalinga. So this is something that. Uh, the the older nomenclature of the region so the relationship between kalinga and eastern asia goes back at least 3000 years so the uh, people of orissa were see, the, the entirety of india was a maritime nation east west north i mean the, the two coastal regions of india the western coast the eastern coast so orissa yes. as we know is in the eastern coast so the orissa the people of kalinga were seafarers they were maritime traders and they had this ancient trade relationship with uh, southeast asia essentially the cambodia region cambodia etc with yes. and and the vietnam region laos region with which they had they had been trading at least 3000 years before today and they yes. used to go in these ships called boita and even today they, they, there is this tradition of boita yeah, bandana means the festival like that exactly that's a very very old tradition it goes back around 3000 years and we yes. know that there is significant cultural influence of kalinga in southeast asia even today i think they still call indians as kaling you know that even today yeah. in indonesia yes. sir i have so, also so like uh, read in wikipedia about like the bay of bengal was uh, in some time was actually known as kalinga sagar it Is makes sense to call it kalinga sagar historically the, the influence yeah. of kalinga has Is been way a, greater than that of bengal of its trade route made the name of it people started calling it by that name because of the trade Uh, both it is the british it is the british who named yeah. all of these regions they first colonized bengal so they called called uh, this this part of the indian ocean the bay of bengal yes. it is incorrect to call it it is a colonial name given to it even the yeah. south china sea should be the champa sea the champa kingdom yes. was another kingdom 
in Southeast Asia that was deeply influenced by Kalinga. Uh, if you look at uh, Vietnam, the about 2000 years ago, we had the kingdom of Funan, which yeah. was founded by a trader, a merchant from Kalinga who married a local princess. So yes. there is there is a considerable influence of Kalinga of Orissa in Southeast Asia. It's visible even today. Even if you look at the various uh, dances, the, the classical dances of Bali, of Cambodia, etc., you will see elements of Odyssey dance in that. Yeah. You see? Yes, sir. So all of yes. this is there. And unfortunately, we in India are not taught about the incredible, incredible ancient history of Kalinga and how long before the Cholas, it is Kalinga who, who Indianized Southeast Asia. Yeah, if the yes, Cholas conquer, conquered this region, about a thousand years before today, but two thousand years before the Cholas, the, the people of Kalinga were already do, doing uh, the acculturation of Southeast Asia from, yes. from the Indian perspective. So, very interesting history. I, I wish it would be taught better. Yes, obviously, sir. Thank you so much, sir, for yeah. bringing me. My, my pleasure. Nice meeting you, sir. Nice meeting you. Thank you. Bye. Okay. Let's bring in Mr. Arvind Dubai. Hello. Hello. Hello, sir. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Where are you from, sir? I am from uh, Badlapur, Maharashtra. Uh, All right, sir. Is, What's your question? Uh, sir, uh, I am listening Mr. Anuldhar for quite some time, somewhere around uh, six months. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, I tried to join him, but I am unable to. Uh, he said that uh, before 23rd of January, uh, that uh, government is not taking most appropriate step. Current government is not taking most appropriate steps to uh, bring Netaji back where he was. I feel, I just want your comment on that. I feel uh, BJP is a party who wants to win the election. They say they want to uh, rule out the Congress completely or they want them to vanish. But in the All India perspective, Congress is the main opposition, not the local parties. And somewhere more than 150 seats, they used to fight directly with the Congress, where they've been. But on the contrary, when they go to uh, uh, fight with the local parties, they there are chances that they lose. So it's their government, BJP particularly wants that Congress to be hanged on the loggerhead so that uh, they have a kind of uh, winning probability remaining always. Do you think? Yes, sir. So what's your question? Do you think it's uh, right or not? Okay. Okay. So. Yeah, right. I get your. I, I get the point you're making. Anything else? It's a it's a, it's a politically uh, political thing rather than the na uh, national nationalist thing, because they okay. were. Yeah, I get it. I get it. So, so the, the perspective uh, we, have, we have to see the bigger picture. If the BJP doesn't win elections, they cannot take yeah. the country in the right direction. In yeah. electoral politics, the most important thing is winning elections. Winning, winning elections. It, you have to win the election. That you is the most it. important thing. Important. And then you can make whatever changes you want to make slowly, gradually. But if you lose an election, everything is wasted. All the effort you put in over the past yeah. seven, ten years will be totally yeah. wasted because the, whoever comes to power next will undo everything. 
and therefore i would say we have to look at it from that perspective also that if the government does not concentrate on elections then all the work they are doing will be undone so yeah, i do not yeah. see it as something that is that is incorrect they have to do it There's, they have no option no 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 i said just they are what you are saying is the right thing aap jo bol rahe ho puri tarah sahi main bhi wahi kehna chahta hu ki they matlab wo log aisa jaanboojh ke nahi kar rahe hain ki congress completely khatam ho jaye ताकि उनको जो है छोटी पार्टी से इतना ज्यादा टफ फाइट मिले कि वो सरकार ना बना सके सो टू रिमेन हम लोग को लगता है ये काम कर देता वो काम कर देता लेकिन वो इसलिए नहीं कर रहा है क्योंकि उसको लॉन्ग टर्म पावर में खुद को नए भी रखना है जी जी भारत में ऐसा सिस्टम है कि आपको हर पांच साल इलेक्शन लड़ना पड़ता है जीतना पड़ता है उसके बिना आप कुछ कर नहीं पाओगे चाइना में कैसा है कि इलेक्शन की बात ही नहीं है तो दे कैन जस्ट कंसंट्रेट ऑन डूइंग व्हाट व्हाट दे दे वांट वांट टू टू डू डू यस ये बात है नाइटिंग जस्ट एक जी क्वेरी आप लोग ये ये जो लाइव चैट करते हैं इसका स्ट्रीमिंग का आता कहाँ से कब मतलब कैसे पता चलता है कि आज होने वाला है आई एम अनएबल टू फाइंड मेरा जो चैनल है उसमें मैं जो कम्युनिटी टैब है उसमें एडवांस में अनाउंस करता हूँ व्हेन इज द नेक्स्ट सेशन सो यू कैन सी इट ऑन द कम्युनिटी टैब आज आज आप करने वाले हो तो आप कितनी देर पहले आज कर देते हो ताकि मैं उस समय Okay. All right. Nice meeting you, sir. Nice meeting you. Thank okay. you. Bye. Okay. Let us bring in Mr. Arun. Hello. Hi. Hi, Abhijit. Uh, pleasure meeting you. And it is a pleasure great show. You, Where are you from? Uh, you, I'm basically uh, right now in Hong Kong, but I am oh. from India. Like I mean, obviously, I stay in. Uh, you know, my hometown is Hyderabad, so that's where I'm from. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Right, sir. So yeah. So I basically had a question, right? Like uh, I have been to different countries, like you know Indonesia. Like I've you know gone across the different cultures of Bali and also in Cambodia. And there's a huge you know heavy presence of uh, Hindu culture. You can see that in the architecture. You can see that in the day-to-day life. And I see also that they are enriching their culture on day-to-day basis, which I feel in India is like kind of degrading over the time. But I do see the kind of renaissance you know uh, stage that's happening right now so and i also see that they have a dance that they do which is the kachak dance which is pretty much uh, the depiction of ramayana and it's it's beautiful right so i want to understand like uh, you know what is it that we can do as indians to try and you know uh, not only like glorify our history but also how we can try and spread more of the you know innate capabilities of our uh, you know ancestors that they had in terms of knowledge right so what needs to happen in india is some form of cultural renaissance it's not enough yeah. to become prosperous financially it's all, at all uh, etc it's happening slowly but yeah. 
Indian culture, when we talk about it, there needs to be some sort of a cultural renaissance, which means that the common man, woman, child, the citizens of India need to patronize Indian culture. Right now, what's happening is all the money is being spent on Bollywood or whatever other cheap form of entertainment we have. But that is not Indian culture. They are not promoting Indian culture. Bollywood does not even represent Indian culture. So we have our own ancient heritage, so many different forms of classical dance, classical music, architecture, painting, so many things. So we need to find ways of trying to revive that. We have such beautiful forms of dance like Odissi dance. We have the um, Yakshagana, which is a more of a folk dance kind of thing and so many other things. We also have so many different styles of architecture, all of that, right? Yeah. So we need to find ways as citizens to patronize and to promote our own indigenous forms of art and culture. The government will have some things like the Sangeet Natak Academy or whatever, but it doesn't may have much of an effect. If you look at what's popular on YouTube, you will see only Bollywood. You will not see any Indian classical dance or music or any such thing. So, yeah. uh, so we need to uh, try and find ways of popularizing all this because like you just stated, all of the dances in Southeast Asia, whether it is the Apsara dance or the dance in Cambodia, all of these dances, they are all influenced by Indian classical dance, especially Odissi dance. And like you said, there are the, the various beautiful depictions of the Ramayan, whether it is in Thailand, whether it's in Burma, Burma whether it's in Cambodia, Laos, etc., even uh, Bali. So Indian culture is valued more in Southeast Asia than in India itself. That is the yeah. terrible thing that we are witnessing. So exactly. we need to find ways of, 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 of promoting our culture again. And that will only happen if there is more awareness of our own culture within the within the citizenry, right? So yeah. that that's what needs to happen. I don't have answer, specific answers as to how we can make it happen. But we need to try and explore our own culture more than Bollywood or something like that, you know? So right. That's what I would say, sir. Yeah. So I have a, a small request, and I really loved your, uh, you know, talk on the ancestry and the migration from the so-called Africa and how it, uh, you know, kind of evolved from there. Uh, so I'm also a geneticist. So I really like, oh. you know, uh, yeah, I love uh, this whole topic, and I work actually on the whole migration patterns and all that. But mostly, yeah, yeah, it's mostly on the overall European ancestry and you know, other stuff, and uh, of course. I'm very curious about the Indian, uh, you know, ancestry part, and uh, that's why I would love to know more about the South South uh, Indian ancestry. And I think there are a lot of papers which you know do talk about it. And you spoke about the tribal part of the Andaman Nicobar and all of that. Uh, and yeah, I, I wanted to know if you can ever touch base on uh, you know Krishna Devaraya kingdom because that's something which which fascinates a lot. Probably if you can do a one episode on that or something, that'll be amazing. And I do follow every episode of yours. So yeah, be, thank be you helpful. so much. Thank you so much. Yeah. Right. Thank I will you. certainly I will certainly keep that in mind. It's a very interesting yeah. uh, part of our history and certainly something yeah. that we have not I have not touched upon in great detail. Yeah. So I'll I'll certainly do that in the future. Thank you. Thank you very much. That, that's great. thank you. Yeah. Nice meeting you. Nice thank meeting you. Bye. Bye. Okay. Um who else comes in? Let's bring in Mr. Rishi Raj. Hello. Hello, sir. Uh, I am Rishiraj Singhashput. I am in class 10. Sir, I am fine. Sir, I okay, wanted to ask Ujjain, Madhya Pradesh. Ujjain, Ujjain. Beautiful. Yes, sir. Sir, yeah. what should be an ideal job for an Indian? Sir, I am in class 10, but my teachers and my sir, parents are forcing me to take engineering. So, sir, what should be an ideal job so that India can become a global superpower? Engineering. <laughs> See, if you want to make India a developed country, 
then you need to build a lot of infrastructure lots of roads railways highways airports other kinds of infrastructure we need equipment machinery we need to industrialize all of that is engineering so if you want to contribute in that manner of course engineering will help but again when you talk about the ideal job it depends on person to person everybody has a different kind of aptitude what they are good at some people will be good in engineering some people will be good in sports some people will be good in culture or art so you have to find what you are best at and in case you are good at engineering and science and all that then you should certainly go for that and of course there is a good future in engineering you will get a good job you will have a good uh, stable career and maybe you you can do lots of good things for the country so you have to first understand yourself what are your aptitudes what are your, what are your strengths and on the basis of that you can make decisions but engineering okay. is certainly good if you want to think of the long term future of the country it's certainly good okay thank you thank you nice meeting you let's bring in uh, miss avika hello hi can you hear me hello yes. hello hi Where are you from up up yes ma'am what's your question why did nathuram godse kill gandhi Why did Mr. Nathuram Godse kill Gandhi? Well, I have not studied Mr. Nathuram Godse's career in detail, but I think he wrote a. I mean, there is a book available uh, online and other places. Why I killed Mr. Gandhi or something like that. I think he gave an entire uh, explanation of his actions when he was under trial. I haven't read it personally, so I cannot go into why he did that. But all that information is certainly available his entire testimony his entire explanation of why he took this step of assassinating mr gandhi is is available so i would uh, i would recommend to you that please look it up please acquire the text and study it and then you will have the answer i am not an expert in in this specific matter i have not studied it in great detail so i cannot give you a concrete answer but i can give you the direction so check it out thank you bye thank you nice meeting you bye Okay. Uh, let's bring in uh, whom shall I bring in? Let's bring in Mr. Mr. Dominic. Well, hello. Hello, sir. How are you doing? Where Namaste, are you from? Namaste, sir. Namaste. I'm from Maharashtra. All right, sir. What's your question? So my question is, uh, uh, how how can we have uh, like uh, bring the uh, develop the strongman characteristics? like uh, uh like uh, we see today uh, all around that uh, our focus is not what we want to do a uh, lot of distractions are there so how can we develop that strongman characteristics and uh, do what we want to do and take this country forward right right good question so right now there is so much noise there is so there are so many distractions in the world social media and all kinds of other things so we are always distracted there's always something to see something to watch some video to watch some tiktok or whatever it is these days uh, and so on and so forth there are so many distractions so you, so you essentially are constantly consuming something and you just can't think that's what's happening so what needs to what what people need to do is they need to stay away from social media i mean don't don't be completely immersed in social media 24 by 7 and uh, try to spend time with yourself first of all learn meditation that's how we learn to focus 
or if you want to focus your mind on things you need to learn how to meditate even if you start with 10 minutes a day so that is one thing that can help you and if you want to develop the strong man attitude like you say then you need to be physically and mentally strong mental strength is augmented by physical strength if you are physically strong if you are like a strong person physically that adds to the mental strength and the confidence that you have so you have to develop yourself thoroughly from a 360 360 degree perspective you have to find ways to grow mentally intellectually maybe spiritually learn new things and you need to take care of your body you need to develop your body to its full potential so that is something that is neglected greatly among indian kids teenagers etc you only are focusing on studying another other thing and you don't have the time to develop your body physically either work out or play sports or something like that so all these things need to happen and you need to try and understand who you really are which you can only do if you spend time alone if you spend time with yourself and you need to understand who you are and go in the direction that is best for you based on your strengths your personal strengths so that is what i can give you that's what i can offer you in brief that's how you can go ahead and develop yourself to the fullest extent and to your fullest potential yes okay, sir. sir i had one suggestion uh, so yes sir. Uh, can you bring someone uh, a legal expert to explain like the constitution and all those things the legal things good suggestion i will certainly keep that in mind all right thank you thank you so you have been a inspiration for me thank you sir thank you so much thank you so much nice meeting you bye all right let's bring in somebody else who has been waiting for some time uh let's bring in mr sharang hello hello hi sir hi i can't hear you can't hear you uh, can you hear me now uh, can you bring the mic closer to your mouth It's audible somewhat. Go ahead, please. What's your question? Where are you from? Oh, I am from Maharashtra. All right. What's your question, sir? Um, my question is regarding the similarities we have between uh, Darwin's evolution theory and our Dashaavatars, basically. So there is a quite similarity in between them. So does it mean that we already had a knowledge of it? Uh, and if yes. i mean why it is not uh, scientifically written uh, as a form or journal or something right see what happened 1000 years before today is that all of our universities see india was a country of very high standards of education we had universities all across the country north south east west uh, we had uh, universities like takshashila nalanda tilhara vikramashila shardapeet and so on and so forth all across the country 1000 years ago the turks invaded india occupied india and they destroyed every single university every university had a huge library we know that the university at nalanda when the library was burned it burned for several months so all of this textual information all the academic information that was part of the university libraries was all burned to ashes and therefore whatever knowledge we had has was destroyed so in case we had texts on evolution from an indian perspective those are gone and that's why we don't have the knowledge today it doesn't mean it it did not exist if a library burns for months imagine how much knowledge was there how much texts for there scientific text uh, text would have been there literary literature uh, astronomy physics chemistry mathematics biology pharmacology toxicology history all of that would be there 
it was all destroyed. And that's why today we don't have the answers. But it doesn't mean it was not there at the time. Now, when you talk about the Dasha, Dasha Avtaras, there is clearly, uh, it clearly resembles evolution. It starts okay. with uh, uh, the fish, then the tortoise, then the dwarf, then the larger humans, and so on. So it clearly represents some form of evolution. But why is it not in the journal form? Because all the journals were burned. So that's what I can say, sir. That's why we lost okay. all, all of our knowledge. So it means right. we had uh, we had knowledge of that. So okay. it's quite it's quite likely we had all that knowledge. It's quite okay. likely. Okay. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Nice meeting you. Okay, let's bring in the next person. Let's bring in somebody who's been waiting, Mr. Nitin. Hello. Can't hear you, sir. Can't hear you. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm very well. How are you, sir? Where are you from? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Uh, I'm from Pune. Uh, okay. Basically, I had like uh, two questions. You may choose which one mm -hmm. to answer. Uh, one sure. is, uh, uh, I have heard about the 100-year plans, uh, hundred year plan of uh, uh, habitating uh, on Mars. Like, uh, uh, there, are, there have been a few theories by uh, Mr. Elon Musk to... Uh, <clears throat> make it habitable uh, mass habitable and uh, there are few scientists who are suggesting a hundred year plan for uh, uh, for that uh, mass to be a habitable, a habitable planet so uh, there is a reason why water is not there on the planet and it was there earlier uh, it does not have the magnetic field that earth has and uh, also earth has this 23 and a half degree uh, tilt because of the moon that we have so uh, uh, even if we uh, succeed to make it habitable, it but it won't be sustainable. So how scientists are claiming that uh, they'll be able to make a mass habitable? That is first question. The second question is, uh, why do we have this uh, uh, the Bhagavad Gita? Why Bhagavad Gita is most popular Gita in our uh, Vedic uh, culture rather than uh, there are so many Gitas that we have in our, our culture? Why uh, this specific Gita is uh, so famous? So you may choose okay. which one to answer. Uh, okay, so let's let's go with the first one, the one about Mars, because there is more of my strength, science, more than the other thing. So, yeah. um, so what you're saying is that even if we uh, are able to terraform Mars, let's say, and uh, have water on the planet again and so on, you're saying that because of the absence of a magnetic field, again, that will not be sustainable. And again, it will all evaporate, right? That's what you're saying. So the thing is this, uh, the absence of the magnetic field is indeed a fact. And in the past, we had the, the planet Mars had water, lots of water, flowing water, and it's all gone today. What happened is that the magnetic field disappeared. There must have been a magnetic field, a weaker one in the past. But for whatever reason, maybe the core solidified and the magnetic field went away. And because of that, because of the uh, bombardment from solar wind, cosmic rays, etc., slowly all the uh, water uh, dissociated away into hydrogen and oxygen and it, it, it disappeared. But today, even today, there is water which is in the form of ice on the poles of the of the planet and also most likely under the surface, under the soil of the planet. And we see we can see evidence of that. So if we were to liquefy the water again and create a, a different kind of atmosphere, then for this process of the water disappearing again to happen, it would take millions of years. It would take millions of years. Now, we don't think as a species in terms of millions of years. Our species is, is about 2 million years old. And Homo sapiens is 
at most a quarter of a million years old. So when you're talking about a time scale of millions of years over which water disappears, it's not important for us. If water is there for the next thousand years, it's enough for us, right? So that's why it is a plan that makes sense, but it is just a dream right now. It is just a dream. Terraforming a planet is not is no joke. It will take at least uh, a few centuries for the entire process to be completed. At least exactly. a few centuries, maybe a thousand yes. years. So it's a, it's a it's it's something that's still in the realm of science fiction. It's not something that can be done right now. We don't have the resources and the capabilities of actually doing it unless we start using nukes all over the place, which obviously is not advisable. So right now, the first thing is let's get to Mars and get back once, and then we'll take it from there. Right. Getting back once would be uh, really a challenge for human beings. Indeed, right? indeed, yes. Exactly. Yeah. So, right. Uh, thank you, sir. It was really nice talking to you. I'm a great. Nice talking to you. Nice meeting you. Thank you yeah. so much. Thank you so much. Bye bye. 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 All right. Um, who else do we bring in? Let's bring in Mr. Siddharth. Hello. <laughs> Sir, hi. How are you? Sir, nice, sir. Sir, I am from Dehradun. Nice, yes. And sir, okay. You are sir, one of my mentors, sir. Thank you, sir. Geopolitics in some memorand. So, sir, I have Ji, two Ji. questions. One is related to Winter Olympics happening in B. And second is related to Balochistan. Ji, boliye. So, sir, you said it once. Uh, what is the first question? What? What? What is? What is that? Uh, so first is related to uh, uh, so Winter Olympics, which is happening in Beijing. And the second is related Haji. to Balochistan. So ask me but one question. Go ahead. Go ahead. Koi bhi, okay, you choose. Okay. The heartbeat is very very... No, no, no. Relax, so, man. No, pro- no problem. Okay, sir. So, like today, sir, like Pakistan normally says, we will do this, we will do this, we will do this. India has to main destabilize karna. So, sir, Ajit Doval has said in many press conferences that if you do too much, then I will play the Baloch card. So, can it be a possibility that India has played the Baloch card to destabilize Pakistan at some point? It is certainly possible that India may have played certain cards, may be playing certain cards. Maybe the effects will be visible later. Maybe they are being, maybe they are visible right now. So, right now, if you look at what's happening in Balochistan, there is this... Um, I think just yesterday or day before yesterday, there was this attack by Balochistan uh, freedom fighters on an, on a Pakistani army outpost. They were able to capture the outpost and they were able to get inside and defend it for quite some time. Lots of Pakistani soldiers apparently have, have been uh, um, neutralized in this action. So this sort of action, it's it's not easy for somebody to do it without proper support. You need proper training. You need really good training to do this. You need the right equipment also, the right supplies, because if you're going to fire for like 20, 30 hours, you need ammunition for that. You need rifles and weapons that will not jam and that will not stop, that will not fail. So clearly, this is a well-planned operation, if it it is the way we are hearing it to be. So so obviously, it's possible that... um, Obviously, what I would say is that it's it's not possible for the freedom fighters to do all this without proper external support. Now, the only question is, where did they get the support from? So, if, if you look yeah. at the weaponry which they had, it was actually American weaponry. M16 rifles, night vision scopes, and various other things. So, that clearly indicates it came from the north, from Afghanistan, where the Americans left so much uh, equipment. 
so it seems to indicate some kind of linkage between the balochistan freedom fighters and the taliban right now taliban is supposedly pakistanis the uh, pakistani yes, puppet sir. but not quite pakistan the taliban are actually pashtun nationalists and they have a big border issue with pakistan they want to reclaim territory from pakistan so it's a complex situation and it's quite possible that there may be in involvement of a larger power as well like you said like mr dowal has been state has stated in the past it is quite possible but i don't have actual evidence but one can certainly okay. speculate thank you so much sir thank you nice meeting you thank you Same bye sir. let's bring in mr rishikesh who has been waiting for some time hello sir hi sir i'm a big hi fan. how are you where are you from thank you I'm, thank I'm, you i'm i'm doing good i'm from vishakhapatnam i'm or i'm odia actually but i have been here for some oh. time all right so so my question is uh, it's it's not necessarily i'll actually explain it so sir in india we follow a democratic system which is based on the ideas that were been imposed from like you know from our colonizers and because of that while we are a civilization which has existed for like thousands of years recordedly which is confirmed we still today struggle to implement five year plans while we should be a nation which which should have concrete century plans at the minimum and because of this a lot of you know youth suffer because of this so while we have the youngest youth population in the world which is like 26 years a lot of them are under distress because they don't get to choose what they want to do and at the end of the day those who are capable of doing something generally move out and we like you mentioned in your older videos we have become an exporter for digital coolies and the country greatly suffers because of it but now we are seeing that you know like uh, the countries which based their growth on the basis of uh, you know looting goods and like you know assets from other countries they have adopted democratic systems and now they have started observing an uprise in their own countries like yes there is a some resistance that's being observed so like amidst all of these things india follows a democratic system and that's exactly why people's ideologies like you know dictate which direction the government has to go and that's exactly why the current government is actually worried for what it's going to do in 5 years so do we see some good future for the country in like the next 100 years because it will be tragic if this continues in the long run and it would in my why opinion it get its loss yeah right so the points that you have uh, specified are 100% valid what we see in india today is that the young people the youth don't have sufficient options there are maybe one or two options that they can take otherwise go out of the country and explore options elsewhere so it's it's, it's, it's that's, yeah. that's the situation that we are in and essentially the what's happened is that for 50 60 years india did not change at all it was run as if it is still under foreign occupation under foreign colonization it's only in the last decade or so that we are seeing some movement in the right direction now you can see pro progress you can see growth you can see the massive build up of infrastructure which which needs uh, engineering jobs and things like that but we are still a long way to go from today and the reason why progress is so slow is that we have this federal system in which the central government will have a certain plan but the local governments federal governments they will have other ideas and they will oppose whatever the center is trying to do and that's why the nation is always constantly fighting itself from within and that's exactly. where all the energy goes in all the money and all the effort all the energy is wasted only in all of this internal friction and 
very little progress happens because of that so clearly the indian system needs to change now it's not going to change today but hopefully in the next 10 20 years there will be somebody with the with the force of will to to make the country change what we need is a new constitution a new way of governance a new form of governance the current form of governance is just adopted wholesale from the small island of england it is not it is not something that is suitable for a subcontinent sized nation and that's why we need a different form of governance a more centralized form of governance with with uh, with more democracy at the local lower levels but overall the country should be unified in going in the right direction so that is a process that needs to happen i am still quite positive that in the next 20 30 next 10 20 years we'll see significant changes because there is something called momentum right now the momentum is slowly building up but if it is a, if, if we are able to sustain it for the next 10 or 20 years we're going to see massive changes happening so it's all about continuing the momentum that's what i would say so like uh, regarding that only because of the external influence we see that uh, it's very easy for a idea which is like you know counter to the nation's growth is very easily supported by external influence like we see movies which uh, which promote an entirely contra like you know contrasting idea which should support the nation's growth so like yes. is it possible that you know like if someone in the country starts funding uh, like you know ideas like pro- promoting ideas through movies or anything that actually support the growth of the nation is is that a possibility like it is certainly certainly a very good idea we can certainly change the mindset the cultural orientation of the country with the using the entertainment industry with exactly. the media and all that so if somebody with this sufficient amount of uh, resources funding would start let's say a new ott uh, ott platform whatever they call it and promote indian culture it would certainly have a very big impact the audio visual medium is very influential in the 21st century and social media too and the entertainment industry too so it's certainly a low hanging fruit which if somebody with uh, with the right amount of resources and funding would want to do it it's certainly very much possible so it, this is an avenue that we can certainly explore but we will need funding for that but funding is available in the country we are actually a very rich country money is actually, there it's all about how we use it exactly right yeah thank you thank you very much thank you very good questions nice meeting you sir thanks same very thank you very much thanks Okay, let's bring in who has been waiting for some time. Let's bring in Mr. Abhay. Hello. Hello, sir. Can you hear me, sir? I can hear you, yes, sir. Yes, sir. yes uh, I'm from Hyderabad, and my question is actually about the first Cold War. So, in the first Cold War, as we know, that the Soviet Union disintegrated. So you said that it was because of Mikhail Gorbachev's. Uh, policies of uh, more democracy plus north and perestroika and slowly they started to lose control over the eastern states of the eastern europe and so do you think there is any involvement of the united states in all this process of disintegration because uh, i have watched this video of uh, yuri besmanov and he said that uh, americans have been demoralized during the cold war era and america was in very in, in danger from the leftists in america but finally we, as we see the result was just the soviet union disintegrated so do you really think there is an involvement of united states in the disintegration of the soviet union or right 
Right. So like you said, Yuri Bezmenov was a Soviet defector to the West. He defected via India, actually. And in the US, it disclosed that there is this uh, uh, Soviet campaign to destabilize the US, to influence the US ideologically, etc. And the, the majority of the effort was going into that, not into spying. So that's what he disclosed. Now we find that the Cold War actually was won by the Americans and it's the Soviet Union that disintegrated. So clearly there must have been American efforts also at influencing events within the USSR and that has not been disclosed, right? Because they have been able to keep it secret. That's what it means. Uh, the country did not disintegrate by itself. Obviously, there are external factors involved and the only external factor we can think of of that magnitude is the US. Because there were two poles at the time. It was a bipolar world. The USSR and the US were the two poles, the two superpowers. So the US was able to prevail. So that's what happened. Clearly, I mean, it's it's well known that the Americans had, spied, had, had spies in the USSR. Many of them were able to escape. Some of them were caught and whatever consequences they had to face, they faced. So it was something that was happening from both sides. The USSR was trying to influence the US ideologically, subvert the US population ideologically. And the US was doing various things on USSR uh, soil as well. Now, today you will find that all the Marxist socialist ideas that the Soviets were pursuing and promoting, they have taken root in the United States today. The US is, if you look at the population, the orientation is more socialistic than capitalistic today. They are demonizing capitalism. They are talking about socialism, Marxism, left. And the whole country is turning left. So actually, that would indicate that the seeds that were planted at that time, they have kind of, they're kind of bearing fruit today. It's an interesting process, right? Right, sir. Good question. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Nice meeting. Nice meeting you, sir. Yeah, bye. Okay. Mr. Aryan has been waiting for a while. Hello. Uh, thank you very much, sir. Uh, can you hear me? I can hear you, sir. Where are you from? Uh, sir, I'm from Delhi. Uh, sir, my okay. question is, I have been uh, reading about this Albert Einstein and all Carl Jung, like psychologist, and I have been found very interesting thing that a certain period of time in uh, Europe, uh, there was a monoglot society in science, monoglot system. I've been reading this in an article also. So in which there was only one common language used as a scientific use in science that is latin after some times it became a polyglot system like french uh, spanish and german mainly again it became a monoglot through the rise of germany and i assume that even if a, a strong superpower rise like at the time in 1900s it was germany so many scientists learn german even einstein and many scientists knows german because German was prominent language at that time in science society. Now it has also become a monoglot society and now the language has changed to English. So my first question is, is it possible as the China is now we all know that it is aspired to rise as a, a superpower. And if it hypothetically we think if, he, if it defeats the USA, will it change the, uh, uh, is it possible to change English? Is it possible to change English as a common language in science? Because I don't think uh, that it is possible and it is easy because many expressions... Okay, good question. Right. So look, see, you were saying that... Uh, so, so what you are uh, asserting is that it's impossible to displace English and replace it with Chinese as of today, right? 
So it all depends on the time scale that you're looking at. If you're looking at the next five years, it's not going to happen. If you're looking at the next 10 years, it's not going to happen. But if you're looking at the next 50 or 100 years, it may happen. Right? These changes, they happen on large time scales. It won't happen in a week or a month or a year. It may happen over two, three decades if the Chinese are able to displace the US as the superpower. Now, like you said, in the past, there have been other languages that have been the essentially the, the hegemonic language. For instance, Isaac Newton wrote all of his, uh, all of his, uh, the, 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 the works that he wrote, the Principia, the Principia, etc. They were written in Latin, even though he was an Englishman, right? So there was a time when Latin was the uh, predominant, predominating language. Then if you look at the early 20th century, late 19th century, the entire development of quantum mechanics was done with pa via papers written mostly in German and some in French. Now the uh, Americans, because of their victory in the Second World War, they again uh, were able to impose English as the global language and yet the USSR scientists, Soviet scientists would write all their papers, all of the research in Russian only. And therefore, it was important for physicists at that time, the 60s, 70s, to actually know Russian, how to, how to read Russian. Now, today we have English. In the future, there could be a different language. So these changes, they happen over long periods of time. It won't happen in five years, 10 years, maybe a 50 years or 100 years period, you will have a new language emerging, maybe 100 years from today. So it's certainly something that can happen. That's how sir, the world uh, keeps evolving and changing. Sir, is yes, sir. using English as a language in science is actually good for India? Somehow? No, it is not good for India. It is terrible for India. Sanskrit is the most superior language in the world. It is a much more scientific language. It has so much, uh, much broader and richer vocabulary. It has much more nuance than English. English is, is an inferior language. But unfortunately, because of the hegemony of the Anglospheric world today, we are all using English. Most of us are, are maybe better in English than in our, in our own native language. So this is a consequence of mental colonization, which we all have, including me. But English is terrible for India. I want the future generations to be speaking a native language, their native language and Sanskrit as a civilizational language. That's what needs to happen. Thank you very much. Thank you. Nice meeting you, sir. Good question. Thank you. Bye. Okay, let us take one more question for today. Let's bring in Mr. Kabir, who has been waiting for some time. Hello, sir. Hello, sir. Hello. How are you, sir? Where are you from? So I'm from Meerut. Meerut. Okay, sir. What's your question? So my question is, sir, uh, like uh, in the Congo, the Duke of Congo sir, killed hundreds and thousands of people. Hmm. And uh, the culture of the Congo was changed uh, drastically. And today we see that almost all the population is converted into Christianity. So even after the independence, the, why don't they revert back to their root or indigenous culture? Very good question. See, what's happened is that they have destroyed the local culture and religion, whatever it was, so thoroughly. And they have brainwashed the people so thoroughly that they now regard their ancestral culture as inferior. That's what's happened. That's the kind of mindset they put into people. 
and what they have done is that they have reduced Africa to complete destitution and they have made Africa completely dependent on aid from Western countries, which makes the local people feel that the West is superior to us. And therefore, we should try to emulate their culture, their language, their religion and all that. See, what they have done is, this is called neo-imperialism. You first do colonialism, you, you conquer a country, you take out all the resources, destroy the economy, impoverish the country. And then what you do is you reconfigure the country. You draw boundaries, artificial boundaries in the country. And each of the small uh, uh, independent states that you create should be such that they are unable to sustain themselves on their own. And they are completely dependent on you, even after their so-called independence for decades and decades and decades. That is called neocolonialism, and that's what's still happening in Africa. And that's why the people of Africa, because of this situation, the condition they are in, they feel the West is superior. And therefore, we should try and either emigrate to the West or try to be more Western with our, with the, our language, our religion, our culture. So that's what's happening. And that's why it is like that. Okay, sir. Sir, why did you remove sir, uh, short clips, sir, from your channel? Because it is time for the channel to go in a different direction. Now it is long videos, long conversations. I am trying to give you a different kind of value. I mean, until now, I have been speaking for hundreds of hours. So now yes, I want sir. to bring in some really well-qualified people, experts with different kinds of knowledge. And they will also give you some really good information. I want to give as much knowledge, as much value, and as many different perspectives as possible. So that's what I'm trying to do right now. So the channel has to keep evolving and changing. If you stay the same, you don't progress. No, sir. I, I think it is very good, sir. Okay. I'm glad you think that way. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Nice meeting you, sir. Take care. Bye. Shall I take one more question? Let's take one more question. Um, whom shall I bring in? Let's bring in Mr. Rakshit. Hello. Hi, sir. Okay, so I have two questions. You can choose either of the one. Uh, one okay, is why, why Europe was the most dominant country in the world during the 18th and 19th century. Even though we had America, Russia, Japan, they were powerful and some of them were barbaric as well. Uh, my second question was, India was less than $300 billion economy in 1990s. And in, uh, during the two, before 2014, we were $1.92 trillion. And today we are $3.25 trillion. So we had a growth which can be considered reasonably well. So what we can do to reach that $10 trillion mark, which you mentioned all the time. So these are the two questions you can pick anyone. Okay, let's take the second question. So our economy was very small until the 1990s. There was almost no growth at all for many decades. It is called the Nehruvian rate of growth, 1% or 2% per year. Essentially, what the policies that Mr. Nehru implemented, they stifled our growth. And that's why we did not grow at all for so many decades, even though we were so badly impoverished. Now, after the economic uh, liberalization of the early 90s, our growth started to accelerate. And that's why we are now approximately $3 trillion uh, in GDP, per annual GDP. So what needs to happen? If we want to quickly reach $10 trillion uh, of economy, of GDP, what needs to happen is we need to have a sustained period of growth of at least 10% every year. At least 10%. So if you look at the history of the Chinese economy, from the for, for a very long time, for like more than one or two decades, they were growing at more than 10% per year. Sometimes 12%, sometimes 13%, sometimes even 15%. And that's how they have been able to change, transform their economy and become almost a middle-income nation today. And that's why they're the second largest economy in the world today. 
So if India has to become a large economy again and reclaim its historical place at the top of the food chain from the economic perspective, we need sustained growth, large growth, 10% plus every year for at least the next 10 years, minimum, ideally for the next two decades. So the government needs to find ways of, of accelerating the growth and creating sustained growth, which you can do by, by investing in infrastructure, by industrializing the country and in various other ways. So that's what the government needs to do. And that's what that's the direction in which India needs to go. Right. And they, they are doing that. So I have a request. Uh, could you please call some expert on Gupta dynasty and Lalita Aditya Muktapeda because they are very fascinating and they're very, you know, uh, in- intimidating if you want to call them. Certainly. Very good suggestion. I will certainly look into this particular thing. Thank you. Thank you, right. sir. Have a great Thank day. you so much. Nice meeting you. Thanks. Okay. Well, let's bring in one last person. Let's bring in uh, Vaishnavi. Hello. Hi, sir. I'm a very big fan of yours and I really watch you your so uh, all your videos. My heart is beating very fast right now. Relax, relax. No, no need to do that. Where are you from? So my question, I'm from New Delhi and uh, I'm very lucky okay. because you spoke to my husband a few moments ago. I uh, did? <laughs> yes, Great. yes, yes. So, uh, so my question is, sir, that I'm really intrigued by uh, Area 51 in the America. And there are va- mm-hmm. various theories surrounding this uh, topic also. And also one of the theories surrounding is that Russia is also hiding some information regarding aliens. So if it's true, then why these both countries are uh, hiding this information from the general public? Okay, good question. So Area 51 is a place where there are so many uh, claims that there is there is some alien technology, alien artifacts, all that. We don't know if it's true, but let's let's hypothetically consider the possibility that they are actually hiding something. They are they are concealing some alien technology there. And then the question which you uh, raise is why are they hiding it? Why are they not revealing it? The answer sure. is very simple. If you have something that gives you an advantage over your opponents, why would you reveal it to them? Don't yes. reveal it. If you have some secret weapon that others which, which that will help you win over the others, never reveal that secret. Always keep it hidden. Your enemy should never know what your strengths are. It's as simple as that. Therefore, in case this is actually true that they have some alien technology, etc., they will never ever reveal it because it will give away the advantage. Right? Definitely. That's the answer. So do you think that uh, America is definitely experimenting on aliens and this information uh, is being shared by the president of uh, America also, United States of Nation? I don't know. I have no information (laughs) because I am not privy to such secret classified information. I think it's unlikely that aliens have visited the planet, but in case it is true, they will not reveal it. So, So I don't have any specific information. Okay. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. Good night. Bye-bye. Most welcome. Most welcome. Nice meeting you, ma'am. Bye. Bye-bye. Let's let's do one more person. And the person is not visible. Okay, Nirmal Nirmit. Hi, Nirmit. You're the last person for today. Hi. Uh, namaskar, sir. Thank you. Namaskar. Namaskar. I have most been welcome. toiling hard since last two weeks for joining in. Well, so here it's... you are, sir. It's it feels satisfied right now. Great. Where are you from? Sir, sir, Mumbai. Okay. Please go ahead, sir. What's your question? Sir, my question is that does this land of what we refer as Bharat Mata, does it have a consciousness? Means does it uh, align itself in such a manner that it produces great leaders according to the need of the time? 
Okay, that's an interesting question. Does the land have consciousness? Well, we don't know if, if land has consciousness, if consciousness is something that's uh, present in non-living materials and all that. I don't know about that. That's, that's, uh, that is a topic of debate in various fields, in spirituality, in philosophy, etc. So I don't know if, uh, if the land or the geography yeah. has a consciousness. And if you're talking about great leaders, in the past 1000 years, which great leaders have we produced? After uh, Raj Raj and Rajendra Chola and, and, and uh, Chaturpati Shivaji Maharaj, which great leaders have we produced? So, Sir, like yes. means when, uh, when uh, the India was under the Britishers, we had Nitaji then. So, does it have an impact on the mind of a person? Like, if he believes that there is a bigger entity than him? Like yeah, if you believe that there is something larger than you and something that is giving you power and protection, it certainly helps you psychologically. It gives you more confidence. So yes, it is always a good uh, thing. That's why people who believe in God, etc., they, they have this advantage that they feel that they have some extra force, some extra power that is supporting them. So it does uh, help you psychologically in terms of confidence and so on and so forth. It does. Thank you. Sir. Okay, sir. Thank you so much. Nice meeting you. Take care. Bye. All right, my dear friends, I think that brings us to the end of today's session. I can see more people waiting. I apologize to all of you. I apologize, but we are done for today. So we will continue this. It's, it's great fun taking your questions and talking to all of you face to face. And let's keep doing this. So thank you all again. And until the next time, I wish you a good night, a good day, wherever you are. And I'll see you in the next episode. Take care. Bye.